Hello everyone and welcome. Today I'm joined by Shaili Akaria. Shaili, I'd like to begin with discussing your political socialization. While you were growing up, so thinking a few years back, did you discuss politics with your family or with your peers or teachers? I think that I definitely did. Um, one of my earliest memories of um, being exposed to politics would be, so in your questions, you said the 2012 election, but this is further back during the 2008 election. Um, I was in second grade and I remember um, like when I was riding the bus to school, do you know those like hand clapping games that kids play? Like, yes. Yeah. So there's a game like that, except it was about like Obama and McCain and like all the cool, like fourth graders were playing it on the bus. Don't ask me how I remember this so vividly. I don't know. It must've really <laughs> impacted me. But I remember that like all these people would play it on the bus and like the lyrics were like, um, John McCain is a pain. Barack Obama has no drama, or something like that. <laughs> um, and people would like to argue about the lyrics and be like, "No, it's McCain is not a pain. No, McCain is a pain." Um, and so, you know, obviously at that time I had no idea like what any of those words meant, but I thought that was really interesting um, back <laughs> then. Um, and I think that my parents also definitely did like make an effort to bring me and my sister like to the polls with them when they voted and like they would give us a little sticker to get us excited about it. So I think I've definitely, I definitely was like exposed to the political process from a young age. Mm. And how did your parents talk about the quote unquote government, positively or negatively? I would probably call it like a neutral. It's just like government is something that's there that affects our lives. But I think maybe by virtue of them being immigrants, there wasn't like a huge sense of like, and we have the power to change it and government is for the people and whatever, you know? So it is almost like kind of teaching us to just accept that the government exists and accept what the government decides to do. I will say that maybe one negative thing um, in terms of how they viewed the government was probably around like immigration policy and stuff like that. That's probably where I heard the most um, negative things about the government from maybe not just my parents, but my extended family as well. Thank you. And now speaking more broadly about economic systems, do you have a specific memory of when you first came into contact with the word capitalism? And then kind of flash forwarding to now, what do you associate with the word capitalism? I'm trying to think about when I first like heard the word capitalism and it had to have probably been like late middle school or early high school in like one of my government classes. Um, but I probably like didn't understand what it fully meant or what I think it fully means um, until college, honestly, because I think even up to like my senior year in high school, I took my first like whatever AP econ class. Um, and then like, obviously they introduced ideas of like capitalism and communism, but it was, it was seen as like, I don't know. It just like, wasn't that prominent. It was just like an underlying assumption of everything. So you just like knew the word for it and moved on. Um, but I think like recently and almost like just strictly in the past year, I've like come to learn a lot about like what capitalism entails, like not just the economic definition, but also just, you know, social impacts on people, um, 
and stuff like that. And it's still like something that I don't think I'm 100% crystal clear on. Yeah. So I don't want to put you on the spot, but I'm wondering if your work with the Beck Center and particularly with Fair Finance has impacted your view of capitalism. Oh, for sure. I think definitely this summer was like the most transformative summer of my life, like working (laughs) um, in Fair Finance at the Beck Center. Um, And it's interesting because the Beck Center, I don't know how much we want to discuss this, but I think the Beck Center like portrays itself as like super transformative. Um, But at the same time, like, I don't think that necessarily means anti-capitalist because Mm -hmm. When I was doing the work in fair finance this summer, there's a lot of like rhetoric around um, reimagining capitalism and reforming capitalism. And like now looking back on it, I'm like, I don't like, what does that even mean? <laughs> you know, like <laughs> you reimagine a structure that has been like dictating human interactions and political organizations and economic relationships for like this long um, and change it to somehow be beneficial now. You know, Um, I think this summer, maybe it's also because I was just like a lot more active on Twitter and people do be kind of radical on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think I got a lot more exposed to like anti-capitalist thought um, and it's something that I'm like committed to learning a lot more about now. Yes, I get all my news from Twitter, which is probably very bad, but (laughs) moving on to more specifically discussing your Georgetown experience and how it's shaped your perspective, I'm wondering if there are any particular courses you've taken that have changed or maybe affirmed how you view government and its role. So freshman spring, I took a class called Intro to Economic and Political Development, which is like the first course in the international development minor, um, which I'm planning to do. Um, and that class was like super, super impactful for me because the professor like really broke it down to like such a level where you're like kind of questioning everything. Like, what is the government really supposed to be doing? Like, who creates it? Like, you know, who should be dictating it? And just all these like really meta things. And that has really made me rethink about like the role of government in our lives. Um, and also like, capitalism going back to that um, I think I was first exposed to like actual like academic critiques of capitalism through that class as well that sounds like a really interesting class so now speaking more broadly about your experience at Georgetown I'm wondering if there's anything else maybe outside the classroom that has shaped your political views or just belief in government That sounds like a really interesting class. So now speaking more broadly about your experience at Georgetown, I'm wondering if there have been any... That sounds like a very interesting class. So now speaking more broadly about your Georgetown experience, I'm wondering if there are... Yeah, that sounds like a really interesting class. So now... Speaking more broadly about your Georgetown experience, I'm wondering if there's anything that has impacted how you view politics and maybe just your worldview that's happened outside the classroom. I think that 
once I got to Georgetown, I was exposed to a lot of people with a different um, socioeconomic background from me um, that I just like had not been exposed to before. Like I'm from suburban DC. So everyone is like pretty much the same profile. Um, and so just getting that diversity really, really like opened my eyes to things that I knew existed, but like it really like made it concrete. Um, and I could see like how everyone's you know, past experiences are different from my own and how that kind of formed them to be the way they are now. So that's like really big. But I think that just meeting new people and becoming friends with people who are different from me really changed the way I kind of saw some of these things. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to put you on the spot, but I'm honestly still thinking about the project you did that focused on, quote, reimagining capitalism. Because I am no idea what that means. So I'm wondering if you can kind of expand a little bit on what that project was like and how it maybe shaped your view of capitalism. This summer, um, I was working on a project called Reimagining Fair Finance. And through that project, what we were doing is, like one main thing we were doing is looking at philanthropy um, and like just how philanthropy works. And the goal of the project was to bring awareness about like increased decision making in philanthropy. So instead of like a donor um, recipient relationship being like purely transactional, you have these organizations that are now like bringing in individual donors and the recipients into one room so they can like have a dialogue and have a better understanding of where their money is going. Um, And this like makes it more likely for them to invest in programs like this in the future and like just building a healthy relationship between the funder and the fundee is like critical in order to make sure that these programs work in the long run is basically what we found. But what I thought was interesting in when we talk about like reimagining capitalism or whatever, um, is that so over the summer, me and the other student analysts on the project, Somia, we did like phone interviews with practitioners in the space. Um, and we had so many of them that were like, uh, super like anti-capitalist um, and these are people who work at like participatory grant making organizations and stuff like that mm-hmm. and one common thing that we would always hear is that like in an ideal world like in a perfect world philanthropy should not even need to exist because we shouldn't have like these huge billionaires who like by some like good grace like decide to give people their money you know because they feel like it we like it, the system like should not create an environment for that to exist in the first place, like that massive wealth imbalance. Um, and so I thought that was super interesting to think about. Wow. Great. Thank you. And now moving in a slightly different direction, I have a few questions about how you view a government's relationship with its citizens. So what a government's duty should be to the public. And I'd like to discuss a few contemporary uh, examples. So first, there is pretty extreme income and wealth inequality in the U.S., particularly along racial lines. And can you tell me how you view this situation in relationship to the government and its duties? So should the U.S. government be making greater income inequality a priority? And are there any drawbacks if the government does so? I think that these stats are like absolutely ridiculous, first of all. Like, that's really, really scary to think about. 
Um, so yes, I do think that the U.S. government should have a role in fostering income in e- income equality, not inequality. That would be bad. Um, <laughs> I think I saw this article like today or a couple of days ago saying that like there's in the U.S. specifically like there's such a rhetoric of like victimizing poor people and being like not big I don't know if that's the right word but it's like you're poor because you choose to be poor and like if you really wanted to you could get yourself out of this situation which is like so not true because if you look at for example minimum wage like if you look at inflation in this time period like let's just say 1989 to 2016 minimum wage should like have kept up with that right so people could have like a living uh what's it called a minimum living standard or whatever um but it hasn't it's like stayed pretty much the same um and so that's like an institution like the economic institution in the united states like working against poor people keeping them poor um which is like out of their control you know so it doesn't matter like how much they save their money or like are financially smart or whatever um there's like no way to break that trap of like the cycle of poverty and like upward mobility in this country is just so, so difficult because there's so many, there's so much stacked against you. So I think first of all, the way people think about these things is like not correct. Um, and there should be more of a liability on the government to um, fix it. Thank you. And in the same vein of what a government should be doing for its citizens, I'd like to know your view on the U.S.'s current social safety net. So the programs we have, like SNAP, or Temporary Assistance for Needy Families, do you think our social safety net is working as it should? If, like, the economy was working for everyone like it should be, like, these programs would not even be necessary because you wouldn't have people who rely on these to live. I think that at this point it is necessary, um, but I think the goal should be to move towards a system where, like, You don't need these kinds of things anymore. Great, thank you. And for a third situational question, COVID has obviously just changed everything. And I'm wondering if the situation has affected how you view the government's role in people's everyday lives. Yeah, um, I don't know if it necessarily changed my views, but it definitely reinforced them. in that it really showed like how broken and like messed up our government systems are. And like, I think the reason why I say reinforced is that like, obviously I held these views before that like healthcare is a human right. Housing should be a human right. Um, but like, just to recognize my privilege, like I've never been without health insurance before. Um, and I've never been homeless before. So I've never like been on the receiving end of those issues. And just, like, seeing that stark difference due to the pandemic really made me realize that, like, it's a lot more severe than I thought it was. All right. Now, moving pretty quickly into our third section, discussing how your perspective is now informing your future goals. I don't want to stress you out or anything, but right now you're involved with the social impact scene. And I'm wondering, do you plan on having a career in social impact or in the the nonprofit scene or going into government or government agency or anything like that? So this is actually like an ongoing debate that I always have with myself because 
um, like any other like international relations, international development kid, like going into college, the goal was always to like work for the World Bank or work for the IMF after you graduate. And then now, like even after my first year and a half of college, just learning a little bit about what those structures are really like. Like, I feel like I would just feel so morally conflicted, like going to work for the IMF, for example, um, just based on their policies and what I've learned about how they uphold um, the relationship between the developed and developing world. Um, and like, similarly, the more I learn about like electoral politics in the U.S., the more I realize that it's like all kind of useless and it doesn't mean anything because... <laughs> stay like upholding the status quo so it's like if I really want to make a difference is that the right avenue and I'm starting to think no wow now I'm not too familiar with the IMF could you expand a little bit yeah oh my god I could talk about this like we could do a whole another <laughs> podcast like just on this <laughs> it's like something that I learned in my class from last spring the development class that I mentioned earlier um, but literally, like, to this day on my CPS final today, I literally, like, wrote about the same exact thing because I'm so obsessed with talking about it. <laughs> but basically, what I've learned is that the organizational structure and policies of the IMF were largely, like, almost wholeheartedly influenced by Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher, um, who are both like conservative, um, super free market, super like neoliberal policies. Um, and the way that like the IMF acts as the lender of last resort for countries um, and the way that their lending programs operate in the developing world, like continues to make these countries indebted to them. Um, and there's this thing called like, I don't want to get too technical, but there's this thing called loan conditionality. So it's like the IMF will only give a loan to like a country that requests it if the country agrees to a couple of conditions. And the conditions are all based on like Western free market principles, such as like privatizing all your industries and you can't have any government intervention anywhere, um, which is like completely not feasible and then it has like the backwards effect on most countries um so it actually does more harm than good um and just like for me like someone who doesn't believe in those programs to go and like so I'm an econ major right so to go and mm -hmm. with my econ knowledge at the IMF is like it almost feels like a moral conflict at that point Thank you so much, Shiley. It sounds like you're dealing with some pretty difficult questions. And thank you so much for being here today. That concludes our interview.